0: buddy welcome to the merchant sales podcast before we get started today i have to address the elephant in the room for those of you that are watching on video so Wait. i just as of this recording i turned 40 years old yesterday and I decided I was going to go clean shaven after 40. The problem is I'm doing the intro and the other segments after we did the interview with Lane yesterday. So you're going to notice my facial features change a little bit, uh, you know, throughout this podcast. So there you go. There's the elephant in the room. It's still me. Um, but I'm just clean shaven for the first time in uh, 21 years, Patty. So
1: yeah, I know. And I and, and I know that you you told me that, you, you know, why you had the beard for all those years. But I have to tell you, you still have a baby face. <laughs> Thank you, Patty. I appreciate it. It was getting a little gray. I was like, all right, this has got to go, you know, so, so, hey, yeah, man. no, no, it looks great. Chase. It looks <laughs> great, you. And in so, our interview with yeah. Lane today, you want to you want to talk about that for a second? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh,
0: Lane is kind of my go to person when I'm talking about brokering a deal, finding an ISV, uh, you know, for one of my clients to purchase mm-hmm. or selling an ISO. So he's a, a broker in our industry, very specific niche. And we're going to talk about buying an ISV. If you're an ISO, should you go out and buy a technology company? What's involved in that? Um, and it was a just really packed, really dense
1: kind of interview yeah. that gave a lot of, um, I think, good information, Patty. Yeah, a lot of really great information. And then your your uh, questions from the field, I thought was really interesting because it's sort of like future prognostication, I guess we can say, right? Yeah, the,
0: the death of the 1099 model, um, is, is the topic. And we, you know, not that I'm predicting that it's going to die, but I'm talking about what could kill it. And so, right, uh, right. more of a longer term thing, but something that every agent and ISO you really need to be thinking about. And then Patty, tell us about the insiders, which had a lot of two really interesting breaking kind of stories here. Two
1: Interesting breaking stories here. One being the credit card competition act, which is, uh, uh being labeled Durban 2.0. Right. Um, and, um, the fact that block is suing Visa and MasterCard over the interchange fees. James and I discussed this at length. I think everybody's gonna uh, probably enjoy our conversation.
0: Excellent, and the last thing I'll say real quick, Lane Gordon, 733 Park, not advertisers with us, not sponsors, they don't compensate us for consulting or anything like that. So uh, I always like to clarify the relationship when we jump in. So with that being said, let's dive in and have this conversation with Lane.
2: Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast.
0: Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Lane Gordon from 733 Park. How are you doing today, Lane? Good. Nice to see
3: you, James, and nice to see you again, Patty. How are you? Oh,
1: great. Looks like you have a forest there behind you. Um, my log cabin, your forest. We could. Yeah, have, you guys uh, are really looking very rural today. I don't know. <laughs>
3: exactly. Yeah, beautiful. no, it's uh, nice and lush. Yes, that is true. It's very cool.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm in my studio here. Patty's in a law cabin and, and Lane is out in the woods somewhere. So, uh, that's, a, that's what we got going on. So no, but, uh, so today we are going to talk about what I think is one of the hottest topics in the payments industry, definitely among ISOs and processors of any kind of size. And that is buying an ISV or acquiring a technology company, depending on how you want to word it. But this idea of, Hey, we're a payments company. We see that software is eating payments. So let's go buy software. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that's just such a hot topic. So before we dive into that, Lane, it's been a little while since you were on the podcast. So give us a little background. What is 733 Park? What do you do? Give us your story. Sure. Thank you
3: very much, James. So uh, 733 Park, myself, Lane Gordon, I'm the managing director. I have been doing M&A in the payments, fintech, and SaaS space for about 20 years now. Uh, I started out originally as an investor in a payments ISO. Uh And then I took a more active role within that ISO uh, and ultimately wound up working on sourcing many of their uh, acquisitions that they had made along the way. And so uh, with that knowledge, really enjoying putting transactions together, I then left and started working uh, solely to uh, do buy side and sell side work, representing sellers of isos sellers of technology companies buyers for isos uh, uh buyers of technology companies depending upon what the project was and essentially helping folks to create value so when we work for an iso or we work for an agent let's say that has a portfolio or we work for a sas company or isv we're always trying to think of ways to uh, guide that particular client. Sometimes it's through a long-term uh, relationship or engagement where we guide them through a process of success and, and revenue uh, generation and uh, value creation. Uh, all revenue is not created equal. I think mm-hmm. we're probably yeah. going to talk about that soon. Yes. Uh, so it's, it's very, very interesting getting involved uh, with these folks. And then what's also interesting on the flip side is when we get involved with either public companies or PE held portfolio companies that have specific projects where they're looking to acquire certain technologies or as a topic may be on this particular, uh, uh, podcast, uh, ISVs, which I know everybody is very, very excited about. So, um, yeah, I've been doing that for a long, long time. I love it. I love putting together these deals and I love working with the clients.
1: Excellent. So you are in a great position to answer a question I have, which is why are so many payment processing companies looking at acquiring technology companies and vice versa for that matter?
3: It's a great question, Patty. Um, I think we started to see a decent amount of this activity around 2015 or so. Uh-huh. Um, there were some earlier adopters a little bit prior to that, but 2015 some of today's higher flyers, if you may, uh, particularly legacy payments companies at the time, started to become very aware that um, the the future was changing. And what I mean by that is prior to that, if you kind of think about the history of payments a little bit, um, once upon a time, uh, a lot of the revenue that was in an ISO or an agent portfolio was actually terminal leasing, right? Uh, All sorts of terminal leasing programs. Mm-hmm. Then we saw somebody started giving away terminals for free. And so that right. kind of killed that. And then things moved more towards uh, how do I differentiate? I differentiate through better customer service, better customer support, always answering the phones. And then some groups upped their game on that. So um, that changed, and payments became more and more of a homogenous a uh, non-value-added pro- product, if you like. And as a non-value-added product, what I mean by that for, for your listeners is, let's say I'm a merchant, uh, somebody rings my doorbell out here in the woods right now, um, but I but I have a, a little setup, maybe with standalone terminal or something, I'm accepting credit cards, and somebody rings my doorbell and says, hey, uh, I don't know you, but I'm going to save you five basis points, okay? Okay. Um, I no longer have a contract. I'm not leasing the terminal, or everything else. Um, yeah, sure. Save me five basis points, that's great, and I'm gone. And that is churn. And so the opposite of churn, at least as industry uh, looks at it today, is really having a lot of touch points, having a lot of touch points with the business, the merchant, etc., and incomes, ISVs. So For example, let's say that I own a karate school, and all of my bookings now are through this little piece of software that somebody wrote that um, parents can go in and they can sign up their kids and they can look at the schedule, and and things are wonderful online. Um, And and conceivably, I may or may not be receiving payments through that piece, but ultimately, I will be receiving payments through that piece. So, the name of the game is. Uh, kind of like QuickBooks, you know, I've used QuickBooks probably for 20 years. So and it works. It's great. It's wonderful. If my uh, karate school software that I'm using right now is working well and I've already trained my staff or whoever it is, how to, you know, enter the back office management function, I'm probably going to stick with that software for a long time. Mm-hmm. So now if somebody comes along and buys this little software package and then marries it to a payments component, and again, I'm pretending that I'm the merchant at this point. So, and they marry it to a payments component. They don't give me the choice to right. uh, oh, bring your own payments provider, or BYO uh, PP, uh, as I as I used to call it, bring your own payments provider. <laughs> so these days, they buy the software company, the ISV, uh, and they're not giving me a choice as a as a karate student using the system. Now, I may be temporarily annoyed. But in most cases, if you look at these different acquisitions, yeah. the, the folks like me get over it, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. We get over it because we love the software. And guess what? Now I'm not even looking at how many basis points right. I'm, I'm being on my transactions. And they've upped the rate. And even if I know about it, I love the software, so I'm probably not leaving. Right. right. So that is the name of the game because now we've, we've changed it where... There really isn't any more discussion about how much I'm paying in basis points. It's now about, you like the software, it's functional, you train your people, it's great. Um, and that is the ISV game, if you may, in terms of very low churn of those customers like myself.
0: I love it. You know, let, let's do this, Lane. I think this would be great to dig in a little bit. Let's take that same example and let's kind of make it a little more extreme. So let's say we have, we have two different ISOs, right? One ISO has a portfolio of hundred karate shops with what you just described. They have the software, they own the software, right? And it's all integrated and they're doing, you know, uh, $20,000 a month in, 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 you know, margin on, on these deals. Right. Okay. A different ISO has a hundred karate shops, all with standalone terminals. Okay. Right. What are talk about the differences in the way that investors and and buyers look at these ISOs in terms of valuation?
3: In terms of integrated versus standalone.
0: Right. So the one ISO that has all their karate shops have integrated software. The other one, they're all standalone terminals. You know. That's right.
3: That's right. So um, again, it 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 uh, it comes down to that example that I was talking about, which is uh, in software churn in merchant processing and payments attrition. Right. And if it's fully integrated typically that translates into two things number one low churn and low churn translates into a higher multiple right so because again conceivably uh these customers that that you you control somehow through either an isv relationship uh that hopefully you have long term or you purchase that isv and it's fully integrated um so now you have control they're not going anywhere so those multiples start to look more like technology models what I mean by that is mm-hmm. when you look at when you look at the payments industry um a lot of folks smaller isos and agents are used to looking at a month a multiple on monthly net revenue okay? right so typically in this business if you have a small let's say agent book um under ten thousand a month you know it, it can be all sorts of Multiples, but you might be in the high teens. You might be in the low twenties, twenty-four times, maybe a little bit higher uh, if you're under that price point. But but as you start rising, uh, eventually, let's say you know maybe you have an ISO uh, and maybe you're at a hundred thousand a month in net monthly revenue. Mm -hmm. So uh, that portfolio on a non-integrated basis, subject to it having. Normal attrition, which for a non-integrated book is probably 16 to 20 uh, sure. yeah. percent per year, yeah. right? Yeah, so something like that. One well, more well, a couple more variables in valuation, but you know, yeah. if it's growing, meaning right. if right. the ISO somehow figured out a sales model that they're able to keep growing at 15, 20
0: right. replace attrition year, and all that, yeah.
3: That's right. Then then conceivably they may get a multiple that's 50x, 55x on that net monthly revenue, subject to them maintaining certain nutrition levels and subject right. to them um, working to, you know, hit their targets. Meaning, I continue
0: growing yeah, and all that.
3: Yeah, if, I, if I'm buying your, your your ISO portfolio that's 100 grand a month, and I'm paying you 55x, for sure, there's some sort of target that. You got to keep writing x number of deals a month, right? To right. you, you get right. your earnings.
1: But are you, but are you saying here then that the, I mean, the way I'm interpreting what you're saying is, is that the higher multiples are going to go to the ISO that has the technology stack? Is that correct? Well, yeah. So, so
3: flipping it over to that. So, so what's going to happen is um, if you if you look at that that multiple, let's call it uh, 50x, just for sake of argument right so 50x on net monthly on an annual basis that translates to divided by 12 translates to about four times net annual revenue okay and if you and if you start looking at some of these traditional payments companies versus these completely integrated uh, solutions ISVs you start to see these wonderful wonderful big multiples of net annual revenue and even in a lot of other cases you see multiples that um, to some degree are a little bit disassociated with that net annual revenue and they're actually looking at a software multiple what they call uh, annual recurring revenue right? right so if you have a software company let's say and you're in the, in the, the things growing 50 100 a year um and you're over you know. million in annual recurring revenue, let's say, um, you're gonna start to see a multiple that is gonna be in the, perhaps depending on subject to a lot of things, but in the high single digits, maybe the low double digits, even in the current market environment, right? So, and again, translating that back, what does that mean to the typical ISO? What is is double digits on ARR? So if we look at that and work it now backwards to monthly, you start to talk about numbers, which again, in the traditional payments world are just stratospheric, because let's say eight times annual revenue or something. And even if annual revenue translates to net annual revenue, right. on a monthly, that would be like 96X, okay? Now, Whoa. now, that's right. So so not that somebody necessarily, and again, these these are very rough and it all depends on the situation, depends what they're focused on, but. You start to see this boost when you break out of the more traditional monthly uh, multipliers of thirty-six to right. maybe forty-eight on larger books, and start to get bigger and bigger and bigger because yeah. an investor, a buyer, a technology or, or other company can say, "Hey, we can model this out using our, our uh, you know financial calculator, financial tools, and based on low attrition." plus growth uh, um you know this is going to be around for a long time it's going to grow so does that help yeah, i think that's started?
0: great I, yeah and and i will say i mean the you know companies i've worked with i mean that's exactly what you know i've seen there's one i know recently that uh got kind of the equivalent of about 110x um on monthly net revenue <laughs> and again that's because there's fully integrated technology and there's growth and so you know i think i think people forget you know that if they haven't done a lot of finance training i mean like if somebody's buying a business, all they're doing is buying money. They're just buying future money, and if your churn rate's really low, there's a lot more future money to buy, and you're going to get a better multiple.
3: Right. That's right. That's right. And and it's um you know it's 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 really interesting because uh, you mentioned one ten x. You're absolutely right. It, it, it it's it's interesting what's happened since uh, COVID and post COVID. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, uh, I call the COVID days. Um, other than April when COVID first hit, and uh, you could hear crickets chirping on on deals. <laughs> soon as soon as we hit the back end of that May of that year, right? Um, and as soon as free money started coming, what I call free money started going into the system yep. uh, at two percent interest rates. There was a huge, huge flurry of activity in terms of buying and everything else. Right. So sure. sure. Anything that had, and again, I'm being a little bit humorous here, but anything that had any pulse, and what I mean by that, it had ebida, it had some other right. life signs, and all that, and it didn't necessarily really have to be growing, um, became attractive because your cost of capital is almost zero. Right. Okay. Yeah. But now, not fast not forward now. to <laughs> was that not now? That's right. So so fast forward to today, uh, what we're seeing is that deals that don't have growth. There's a lot less interest, meaning there's work to be done on those particular ISOs or payments companies in order to clean them up, pretty them up for a buyer, so that owners, founders, sellers can get the price point that they are expecting or hoping to get versus what the market's going to pay them right now, which is not much. You know, if you have an ISO, maybe maybe uh, you're doing a million year a million dollars a year in EBITDA. Which, for those folks listening, uh, EBITDA essentially it's not what you're reporting to Uncle Sam. It's adding back all the stuff you're pulling out of the business, including uh, uh, depreciation, taxes, amortization, and any interest payments on debt. So when you add that back and gross up what you're reporting to Uncle Sam as your net income, you arrive at EBITDA, an annual right. grossed up EBITDA number, and so we're just you know there's still some interest in things that are flat that have some degree or sizable EBITDA but there's much more value to be had for an owner trying to build enterprise value to to show growth and growth whether that's signing new accounts or whether that's locking down accounts via ISV or ISV channel right um or or ideally both and that's kind right. of the right. the, the holy grail sort
1: of right yeah yeah, yeah.
0: that yeah. that really leads really well into my next question um and i have a couple here that kind of go together but um you know I'm trying to think of the right way to say this so it's not like offensive to anybody but um you know so many times i i talk to isos and this is like, like there's nobody if you're listening and we've had this conversation i it's not just you okay there's like hundreds of times i've had this conversation but the conversation kind of goes something like Well, we understand payments and we know how to sell merchants. And the next thing we're going to do is buy a technology company. And I'm like, really? Hmm. Okay. Um, Do you have any developers? No. Have you ever had a developer? No. Do you have anybody that understands technology? No.
1: Uh,
0: Right. (laughs) And so it's like. No,
1: they think they understand technology. They just don't understand. Right. Yeah. I know. Okay. Um,
0: So, you know, as I see this kind of um, almost uh, flippant view of this i'm going to go buy an isv i have money you know well i'm curious from your perspective you know as you have i'm sure lots of these conversations as well um what are some of the mistakes that you see these isos making as they view like bringing technology in and maybe any tips you have on have on kind of how this how they should be approaching this strategic decision
3: yeah so so it's um It's it's a fabulous fabulous question. So I think they have the right idea in terms of um, changing their future from being just uh, one of uh, uh, homogenous to something having some specialization and reducing churn, reducing attrition by buying these things. But there's a couple of things. So one is have they thought out a little bit about this this potential target technology company. What area is it in? What what lies ahead for the future with that area? So so, for example, when COVID hit, folks that had bought what we call dry cleaning software ISVs, if you may, um, that I mean, there was a lot of areas that were very tough during COVID. Of course, yeah, exactly. Nobody was bringing their suit for nobody was taking suits in right. Uh, That's right. So. So that was hard hit. Now we can't foresee necessarily COVID, but certain trends and things like that 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 maybe you do and don't want to get involved. But beyond that, once once somebody has said, "Well, yeah, I really like this vertical," it's in automotive repair uh, shops and, right. and managing bakeries,
1: them or, or, pizza shops, whatever
3: you got it, or, or uh, practice management system for mm-hmm. uh, small doctors' offices or uh, you know dermatologists, whatever it might be. Once you've got that focus, now comes the part of, okay, do I have the technology skills and do I have the team to um, number one assess what this target this ISV is built under the hood to understand what technology they have? Are they directly integrated to something? are they going to be directly integratable or are they just attached uh, uh, you know to a uh, payment gateway or something like that? and right. and and uh, so, one has to understand what's under the hood of the ISV. At the same time, one also has to take a hard look at themselves, at their own firms, understand what's my technical skill, what's my team's technical skill? And if I don't have it even to evaluate it, maybe I should be reaching out to a third party that can help us evaluate what is there. Yeah. So uh, because big mistakes are made, you you know, you buy something, uh, after you acquire it, you learn that um, either it wasn't as advertised as described technologically, you didn't see it coming, or it was as described, and you can't for the life of you figure out how to integrate it into your payment platform. And now right. you, you you paid a fortune, or, you know, a, a high multiple for this tech company and you're sitting on it. So yeah, right. I, I hope that helps James. No,
0: it does. I, one of the other ones I was going to mention that I, I see so often that I've started advising people is that if you're going to, I, I had an, I did an interview on the podcast, I think two, three weeks ago with um, the CEO of one of my ISBs, And I was talking about how, like, if you're going to do this, you have to either have a product manager or CEO of whatever this thing is that you're about to buy. Like, like, you have to have the person, now, you may aqua hire, you know, you may get them through the acquisition from the company, but, you know, you can't just buy, you know, it's like, you can't just buy a software company that services hair salons, right. if right. you know without, nothing about hair salons, like that doesn't work. The
1: expertise, yes. and,
0: and I think, I think, Lane, the reason if I could say, I think one of the reasons is, for years, payment processing was so generally applicable. It's like, well, we know how to sell hair salons. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but but do you know how to sell a terminal to a hair salon, but do you understand how hair salons operate? Because you have to know that if you want to buy an ISV that serves hair salons, and if you don't, please make sure you get that person that does, otherwise you're kind of dead in the water, right? right. So I don't, any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I mean, that's another great point. So,
3: so going even beyond the technology is understanding uh, how the business actually operates. Um, you know, I, I You know, from my perspective, we do a lot of work with clients trying to help them evaluate these businesses and right. try to help them take a hard look at themselves. So um, but in terms of general, as, as a, a suggestion, to folks, um, you know, w- one of the ways that we sometimes tell people to approach, you know, how do I decide, you know, I, I think I might want to try and buy an ISV is we tell them maybe you should start and take a look at your MCC codes within yep. your own portfolio. Mm-hmm, 100%, and good advice. Thank you. And figure out if you have any merchant concentrations in one or two or three right. areas. Because if you do, maybe there's a reason. Either you're attending certain trade events or maybe you have some specialization or one of your salespeople has some degree of background for right. this, say in auto repair or, or whatever it might be. And then follow that path further uh, in terms of following up on why do I have a concentration in this? And, and that may even help to guide your, your what you should be looking at in terms of acquisitions. Well, you know, if 20, 30% of your book is in uh, auto repair or auto body detailing, uh, uh, managing those uh, individual non-branded uh, companies, um, maybe you should be buying some sort of auto body uh, management software or or something like that. And, and, and what's interesting about finding these ISVs they're, they're, they're uh, maybe they're like stars. If you may, you know, there's, there's new stars being born every day. There's older stars, there's mature stars, there's all sorts of things. So you can find opportunities, believe it or not, that are under a million dollars. You got to look hard because there's lots of um, brilliant, technology people that have built a better mousetrap, but then come to the realization that they don't know how to sell. And if you're an agent or an ISO, most likely you have the skill that they might not, which is, you know how to sell, but maybe you don't know technology. So there is a big opportunity to find very small to, very small to small, let's say, for, for folks that have smaller shops, um, ISVs or technologists that have some sort of solution, but they haven't really pushed it out. And now marry that with your sales force, and all of a sudden you can be pushing that out and and really uh, killing it, if you may. And, and uh, you yep. know, if you're really fortunate to have something uh, very valuable you
0: So I, I have one last question on this, um, and I think it's so interesting. I love this conversation because <clears throat> I think you know, for me, it's like I'm I'm trying to convince the ISOs to do this, right? Like you. You, you should go with this direction, right? You you need to be integrated, but at the same time, it's kind of like, take it seriously. You know, it's a, it's a really big decision. It's not like you're just adding on tacking on something, but one of the big challenges that a lot of them face is they don't understand the capital markets and finance. You know, they, mm-hmm. they've got a 75,000 a month net revenue. Right. But they're like, well, yeah, but I, I could never buy a $3 million company. Like how, you know, so when these ISOs come to you, Give us the short, give us the elevator pitch of like, how should they be thinking about access to capital? And and what does that, what is that thought process like?
3: Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. It's, um, again, for your specific audience speaking to, let's say deals under $5 million. Right. Um, some of the, you know, sometimes those can be financed through a SBA loan, um, which, the SBA in conjunction, let's say, with a bank that they already have a relationship, maybe their yep. deposits are all going through a certain uh, a local relationship, they get involved with an SBA loan, their bank is an SBA lender, they may be able to work that together in such a manner that they still need to come up with down money. But depending on the deal, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's 20%, maybe, maybe it's a little bit lower than 20%. Um, another thing to maybe, uh, for, for folks to think about is, um, you know, and this, and, and I mean this, uh, seriously, although maybe it's somewhat humorous is, you know, do you know someone that has money, right? Yeah, do, right? do you have, do you have a friend, cousin, <laughs> right. sister, aunt, uncle, whatever it is? Right. Somebody just say, came
1: into a giant inheritance or something. Exactly. Right? <laughs> because,
3: because honestly, that, that is not only a very easy way, but, yeah. There's a lot less hoops mm-hmm. uh, to go through because, for example, let's say, let's say you find an ISV that you want to tie down and you've gotten friendly with the owners and they bought into what you're trying to pitch them and everything else. And now they say, great, I think we have a meeting of the minds. How are you going to put this transaction together? Well, again, there's something we, we, we call um, deal velocity. Right, so you've done a great job pitching them. You've done a great job getting them interested in everything else. And now you're sitting there staring at each other and you can't figure out how to finance the deal. You're 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 on a limited time clock. You know, you just put right. the hourglass upside down. You watch the sand run out because at a certain point they're going to say, you know, this guy this this guy or gal doesn't know what they're doing. They can't right. put a transaction they're not serious together. about
0: the deal. I'm mm-hmm. out of here.
3: That's right. So so you you really have to ahead of Getting a target even, um, speak with your lender, speak with your bank relationships, start investigating at the very least SBA on these smaller deals um, and have that stuff ready to go so that when you do find something uh, and you can model out, or we or or whoever can help you model out what that might look like uh, uh, in a financial model that the bank will understand and and will be financeable. that's you want to have you want to be up your game so you're ready to go you're ready to rock and roll when you find and cut that deal right. otherwise you've done a lot of work to lose a deal
1: yeah 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 well what about after the technology company is is purchased this is something i've wondered about you know because they're different you know right. the, the organizations the way they operate are very different so what are some of the keys to successfully um integrating the technology into current operations.
3: Yeah, so so you know the the there's a there's a few different things. So one is integrating the technology. Now it may be that you have a small um, payments company, and you you made a small acquisition of two or three people, or or maybe one person that that knows how to do everything. Um, in some ways, that's probably a lot easier. Right. Mm-hmm, right. Sure. Um, whereas if you have a larger organization, you're kind of setting your ways and doing your own thing or maybe don't really have tech people. And you bought something with 16 people that uh, has tech, but you don't quite understand uh, how your payment solution uh, works, mm-hmm. etc. Um, You almost again, and this is probably part of the buyer's diligence in putting together a deal is this um, uh, self inspection and and right. you know yourself the target so um, you have and,
1: the expertise within your house or that right brought it that's, in with the purchase
3: so that's the right you can
1: make this work yeah. that's
3: right and lastly is probably one of really um again for for folks having a larger ISO or a larger organization is one of um cultures right mm-hmm. um if you're picking up five or six or 16 or 26 people, um how what what is the cultures what is the value set at that particular organization that you're now trying to fold into yours um is is yours just about you know sign folks as quick as you can and get in get out etc and they're more service or you're more service Mm -hmm. and and they don't particularly care about post sales um you know how they're how they're interacting with clients there's there's some work that needs to be done to bring those cultures together. Listen, we've all seen, uh, without mentioning names and offending clients, we've all seen some very large payments companies that have been bought and sold multiple times over that still don't have integrated yes. platforms. Yes, that are exactly. still operating on multiple platforms. Yes, right. Um, and And you know what? But, but, but here's the thing there, there, apparently there, you know, some of those, sometimes I guess it works. They, maybe, except for some of them it's working, right? <laughs> that's right. Maybe it's never, sometimes
0: it's never optimal, it. right? But it's uh, sometimes it's what has to be done. It's all that exactly. can Exactly. And, and, and so yeah.
3: maybe it, it, it still works, but certainly for a, a small to midsize operator, you you want to really get a good feeling in terms of your technology the culture, et cetera. and, I like this vertical. I feel it's going to work. I think we already have expertise. You know, that would be my advice.
0: Well, Lane, uh, we could go on and talk about this for another couple of hours, but we better not do that today. So, uh, and I want to say before I, you know, this last thing here, I mean, without a doubt, when somebody comes to me, consulting client, whatever, hey, we're going to need to buy an ISV. It's like, Just reach out to Lane Gordon. There's no doubt about it. So um, that's how I feel about what you do. I think it's fantastic. Can you give our audience just real quickly what's the contact info or how should they reach out to you if they are interested in buying an ISB or even selling or whatever it is? Right, they want to talk to you about a transaction. Sure, thank you,
3: James. So uh, appreciate that. So the best way to reach out to me, you can you can reach me through our website. The website is seven three three Park, like Park the car or Park the car as we say in Boston. Uh, 733park.com info at 733park.com you'll see information on the site about our sell side buy side we even have a transactions page showing a whole bunch of transactions we've been involved in i've been involved over the years and last but not least we have a current offerings page where we have typically typically we post deals under 5 million in EBITDA or on that page larger deals we don't tend to put on there Uh, to to wide broadcast, but on smaller deals, we have interesting technologies. We have interesting uh, portfolios, ISV portfolios and other things. And so uh, keep looking at that page. And if something interests you, shoot us an email with the name of the particular uh, project that we've labeled and we'll get you all the information. So uh, James James and Patty, uh, thank you once again. And and, uh, I love talking with you both. I find that you you, super interesting. I keep meeting people that love your program. And uh, so keep up the great work. And, and it's Thank been you. an honor. Thank you again for having me on your program. Well, thanks, thanks for being here.
0: So, Patty, I'm really excited about our new sponsor for the podcast, Nativia. Yes. Okay? So yes. we just had Vlad on the podcast not too long ago. And in today's episode, I want to talk about ISO banking. So okay. we talked about this with Vlad, um, mm-hmm. but this is a really exciting thing. You know, for years now, Patty, the the people who actually run ISOs, many times when they go to their local bank, yeah, and they say, "I need a bank account. I'm an ISO," and it's like, "Well, what does that mean? I'm a payments company, oh. right?" We don't bank for other payments companies mm-hmm. and they actually have these issues where the banks don't quite understand what they do. and then every month they're getting these big deposits and they're paying it all out to 1099 contractors. And so there's been a bit of a, uh, a misunderstanding there, right. And at the same time, the other challenge has been it's going out over the ACH. Uh, with their commissions. And so there's two, three day delay on agents getting their money, which agents right. don't like. They want to get paid quickly. Um, And so with Nativia banking, what they've done now is they've actually created banking for ISOs. Yeah. And they have a really cool closed loop system where your agents each get their own card. You can, if you're large enough, you can even get it branded. So you can actually create your own. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So you give all your agents the whatever with your name. ABC and the ISO. Yeah, right? And it's, and it's a MasterCard. So they can use it wherever they want, right? Uh-huh. Um, but they're also- they get all kinds
1: of benefits. I mean- They get rewards benefits. Incredible rewards program, yep. the way he described, right?
0: Yep, it's really cool. And then they also would get their own TV banking app, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's like a regular bank account and they can order new cards. They could also transfer the money, of course, right into their traditional bank account, like pretty but near the money, And transfer. the thing is, is,
1: because it's closed loop, the money is coming directly into their accounts right. almost immediately because exactly. yep. he's using- uh, either RTP or Fed now. Well, no, he's
0: not using either in this case. It's literally it's, Oh, in that so case, it's, it's
1: right because it's closed loop, but he's getting bank, it fast, right, right.
0: So right. yeah, so nice so it's then, an ISO,
1: you you have your
0: account with your money in it, and then you just instantly pay out and it goes right into the bank accounts of all your agents. They have an app on their phone. And so oh, it, it, I think there's two sweet. things about it. There's so so many things I love about it. But two things I want to point out. Number one is, If you're an ISO, I mean, this is literally banking. that's designed for you, banking services. Now you still need your traditional bank. No doubt about it for cash management, everything else.
1: And there's no brick and mortar involved. Right. Exactly.
0: But this is for expense management and all that. But mostly paying out residuals and bonuses is huge. But the other thing is it'll give you and your agents a flavor of FinTech and Neo banking and Mm -hmm. give you an understanding because you can also, you can also earn residual income by selling Natibia banking to your merchants, which we're going to talk about in a, uh, you know, further on down the road. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about that, you can head over to nativia.com slash banking, or if you go to nativia.com slash, nativia.com slash ISO dash banking, that's the specific one for ISO banking. But at any rate, just click learn more, reach out to their team. They'd be glad to give you more information on that. So again, that's nativia.com slash ISO dash banking. Check them out. New sponsor of the Merchant Sales Podcast.
2: This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. So, Patty, today in questions from the field, I want to talk about
0: what I think could be the death of the 1099 model. Okay. So, um, you know, I have had so many interesting conversations with technology companies, with ISOs, et cetera, recently, and, and with my own team. And there is this core issue that nobody is really talking about in the industry. And I really think it is like the most important thing. If you're a 1099 agent, they just, there's, there's a big disconnect. So we have this trend and we talk about it all the time on the podcast, you know, software is eating payments, integrated payments, vertical specific, you know, technology. That's like, and, and I mean, if you're still listening to the podcast at this point, I would imagine that you agree with that to some extent. Right. Right. You you wouldn't be listening. Yeah. Otherwise (laughs) you'd probably be sick and tired of us talking about it. So If you believe that here is something that we have to talk about. We have to talk about compensation. Okay. And exchange of value. Yeah. So, you know, Patty, if I'm going to go place a standalone terminal and Mm -hmm. it's going to cost my processor a hundred bucks to provide Mm -hmm. this terminal for free. Right. Maybe they're going to give me, um, you know, a $200 bonus and I'm going to get a 70, 80% split. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, They're going to talk to this merchant once to activate the terminal and that's it. They may talk to them again, you know, if they try to do a price increase or something, but most likely they're going to talk very rarely to this merchant. Or if
1: there's a problem with the terminal, they're, you know. Right, right.
0: So So. when you think about the exchange of value, given that scenario, right, where does the bulk of the value belong in this relationship? Well, it belongs with this salesperson. It belongs with the 1099 uh, partner. Why? Because they're bringing this deal to the table, And that's kind of the only thing that matters. As long as we have the deal, well, the terminal's a no-brainer. That's easy to ship out a terminal. The support is is minimal, right? Almost non-existent. So that doesn't matter, right? And then, you know, we got to move the money around. So the ISO is going to have to have a relationship with, some processing company. Well, that's trivial. So, right. where should this value go? Well, it's it should be very steeply slanted towards the agent. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, for the last kind of decade, you know that slant has kind of continued, continued, continued as there's more streamlining in the industry and the agents. You know, as of a couple of years ago, have just kind of come to expect these incredible slanted value exchanges. Yeah,
1: yeah. And they're like, fact, well, we I. Didn't- I've heard people, you know, like make comments like, Oh man, I'm only going to make like 1500 a month on this account. And I'm like, excuse me. (laughs) And it's like,
0: it's like, Oh man, you know, I want, I want a 90% split. I want my, I want my processing company to do everything for me and all that. Right. It's like, I get it. Right. But I want all the money. I
1: want you to do the the work, all the work. Right.
0: But here's the problem with that. That does not make sense in a vertical specific integrated software world. Yeah, okay. Right. For several reasons, right? Let's look at the reality of the situation. Let's, let's say now, uh, again, you know, my company CC storage, uh, one of the ISVs I own that goes after self storage properties. Now, right. to be really clear, we do not partner with anybody. We don't do 1099. We don't, you know, we have our own internal team and it's a whole separate business. Right. But let's assume that I did for a second. Let's assume I have a 1099 contractor, right? Okay. How would this work? Well, The 1099 contractor would go out and find me a self-storage property owner that's interested in in getting software. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay, what would happen next? Well, they would have to send them to my team and say, can you do a demo? Right? Right. My team, my team, my employees would do a demo for this merchant. Then after the demo was done, what would happen next? Well, maybe the sales agent would be involved in trying to close the deal, but probably that's going to be part of the demo, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to get a yes. And based on the software that we built, that's why they're going to say yes. Right. Then the next thing that happens is somebody has to build them a property map where we take all the properties and we put them on this map that's visually in our software so that they can see their property on a map. Well, that takes like an hour. And one of my employees is going to talk to the merchant and email back and forth until we get their property map, build it, and then make sure that we built it correctly. What's going to happen next? Well, somebody has to explain to them how to use the software to load their customers in and send out the link so their customers can set up auto pay.
1: hmm
0: Do you understand? So the, the, you know, so ultimately the agent is basically bringing us a deal, helping us get the deal closed potentially, Mm -hmm. but then there's all of this other stuff that has to be done by us, the technology company. And then once that's all done, the customer is going to stick around for the next 20 years. Right? So the question becomes, what is a fair exchange of value in that situation? Who is it slanted towards? 1099 salesperson or the technology the company, technology company, of course, right. If, if we're being honest about it now, again, you know, how much value is there in going out and finding these, these deals. There's a lot of value in that, right. Our cost of acquisition, we do, you know, Captira or whatever kind of online lead generation or sale or uh, we do Facebook ads or we do Google AdWords or whatever. I mean, it's expensive to buy these accounts, and sure. we don't, you know, that, that money can go to the salesperson, but I'll tell you what these salespeople need to start doing. And, I, and I'm I'm just going to be very, I'll get, I'm sure I've got plenty of haters on this one. So, but I'm going to be really transparent and, and honest about like what you need to do. Okay. If you're a salesperson right now in this industry, number one, you need to think about selling technology. That's I think a no brainer, right? You then need to think in terms of this ongoing revenue split, and you need to align yourself with a technology company that is actually going to serve the customers. And if I can give you a newsflash, if you think they're going to service the customer for ten percent of the residual, they're not. No. So please don't be surprised when they don't, because they're not. Right? They, that's not going to work. That doesn't There's make any cost sense.
1: Cost involved in all that yes. work, and yeah,
0: yeah. And and it, honestly, even if there wasn't, even if it was just pure profit, at the end of the day, the person doing most of the work in the transaction is going to want to get a big chunk of the money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so a lot of that, so it's going to have to be more of an even kind of split. But here's where the here's where the salespeople don't understand that they could make some money, okay? When I look at my own companies that are doing this, I mean, we spend a lot of money on lead generation. We really do, you know? And a lot of these more experienced agents have kind of gotten away from the upfront bonus money. Oh, no, no, give me the maximum residual, maximum residual, maximum residual. Here's the problem though. The technology companies don't want to give up their recurring because that's how their valuations are done. That's how they get investors to put money in and all that. What you need to start thinking with these companies is more upfront and say, look, you know what? I'll take a 50% split, right? Can I get 500 upfront? Can I get a thousand upfront once the deal is closed? And that's a language they'll understand because they're like, oh, cost of acquisition. Sure. You know, right. our in-house cost of acquisition for a hair salon client that does our point of sale system, our in-house cost of acquisition is 2000. And this person wants 1000, but they want 50% split. Good. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, that right makes sense. Yeah. they
0: they can do that so my challenge to to everybody really is we've got to rethink this i th- i personally patty and I, again i'm going i'm, I'm going like <laughs> super against the grain today i actually really think if i was an iso i would start considering different residual splits for different programs right yeah. not right. just for agents i would say like hey you know what because this because this is what happens the isos are coming to me and i'm talking to the isos and i'm like hey what's wrong with you like you need to have integrated payments you need to have a payback like experience you need to have vertical specific and they're like well James what in the world I'm making like 10% margin on most of these deals are 20% like how am I going to, it's like well, yeah you need to come to market and say hey look we now have an unbelievable system program for you know auto repair shops it is off the charts like it is the exactly what everybody wants to sell no matter mm-hmm. what residual split you're at with regular deals these deals pay 50% these deals pay 40% whatever plus right thousand dollars up front yeah. and go to market with the economics that make sense. Are most of the agents going to jump on board initially? No, most of them are going to say you're crazy. And I would never do a deal like that because I, but I, over I, time, but over time as they go out and try to sell these auto shops. Guess what? It's not getting easier. Right. <laughs> you, you think it's getting easier to place a standalone terminal in an auto repair shop right now? No, it's not. It's getting harder. And as these agents, as it gets harder and harder, eventually they're going to think to themselves, wait a second, <clears throat> I walk into this auto repair shop and I want to try to sell them and i could get a $1000 check in a you know up front plus i can provide them with a free point of sale system i can instantly sign them up with a fact like experience and then i can hand it off to the company and they're going to do all the work to make it happen yeah. and they're going to say screw my 80% split give me the 50 let's make something that's going to work and let me just get a yes and get this deal done and that's and where the to the next is. yeah and that's where the market is going yeah. so this this thing that scares me is this patty That's where the market is going. I have no doubt about that at all. Zero. But the question is, where the market is going, is it going to include 1099s? Or are the 1099s eventually just going to price themselves out of the market? And and these companies are going to say, you know what? We'll go W-2. They're going to be super happy with a 15% residual split, 60000 a year salary, some bonus structure in there. And let's go, right? And so um, those are the conversations that are happening in the industry right now, right? And they've been happening for a while, but they're starting to get more and more serious because the 1099s, they continue to demand more. Yeah. In every way, they want more compensation. They want more support. They want fully integrated systems. They want the processor to do all the work on that. And so if you're a 1099, it's time for you to take a step back, find partners that are gonna actually provide what you need to be competitive and and understand that there's a fair exchange of value. And if you can get a 50% split on a deal that's gonna stay with you for 15 years, that's better than an 80% split on a deal that's gonna stay with you for 12 months. Right. So that's my advice Great. to the industry, Patty.
2: Great
1: advice, James, thank you.
2: This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com.
1: Well, James, uh, payment processing is in the congressional crosshairs yet again. Yes. Uh, In late July, Senator Durbin, the Illinois Democrat who brought us debit card interchange, caps.
0: Who refuses to give up. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. (laughs) He tried to push through his latest attempt at micromanaging the industry, um, the Credit Card Competition Act, on the back of a must-pass defense bill. Right. In in legislative terms, this is called Christmas tree. Yes. Just hang anything on a bill. Fortunately, they didn't let him do it this time around. But one of the co-sponsors of the bill, the Republican from uh, Kansas, uh, Senator Roger Marshall, said he's been given assurances that the bill will be brought up for a vote in the Senate this Congress. Now, this Congress lasts through the end of 2024. Right. Um, it should be noted also that Senator Durbin is the second ranking Democrat in the Senate. As Democratic whip, it's his job to literally whip the party Behind legislation, so right. I think there's a strong possibility here we're going to deal with this. Oh yeah. um, Just to give a you know little bit of a background, the bill would require the largest banks in the country, those with a hundred thousand or more in assets,
0: hundred billion. Cre-
1: uh, billions, excuse me. <laughs> Duh. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hundred thousand. I don't think there are any. Yeah, guy, I was going right? to say.
0: I think that's everybody.
1: <laughs> I forgot to put the B at the end when I was yeah, writing up go. my notes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, ahead. these big guys, the biggest guys, yeah, uh, need to make their would need to make their credit cards um, usable on at least two processing networks, only one of which can be Visa or Mastercard. Um, uh, you know, the plan is to give mer. This is how merchants are going to have. The you know the choice which network um, they want their transactions to be um, processed through. Now, alternatives, obvious alternatives would be Amex, Discover, or ATM networks like Shazam or Star, which by the way is owned by Pfizer. Um the But
0: what? Expect- well, well, I'm sorry, not to cut you off, but I just have to. You know, one thing that's funny every time people say this, I'm like, well, wait one second, hold on. Yeah. Okay. So let's say Amex. This is an example, right? So we're saying right. Amex is an alternative, but to be clear. We're saying it's an alternative meaning. Someone with a Visa card is going to walk mm-hmm. in and put it into a terminal. Right. And then somewhere magically in, magically process, in the
1: background,
0: it is actually going to run over
1: Amex rails. Yeah. To yeah. figure
0: out if the money is there, hold the money and move the money, and then somehow this is all going to originate with a Visa card. So just I want to be clear about how right. ridiculous.
1: And what is. it means, of course, is that the issuing bank is going to have to, you know, reissue all these cards, right? right. Um and program to accommodate any network that might be out there. Right. Right? I mean, it, it's 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 insane. It's insane. I mean, these people obviously I mean, I'm sorry, but they obviously don't know how the system works and frankly, right. I think it's up to our industry to let them know how it works. Yeah. You right. know? Um you know, the um I and I also think that the industry is beginning to do this because I read on um in politico.com yeah that Al Kelly, who's the executive chairman of Visa, paid a visit to Capitol Hill last month, hoping to to dissuade potential backers right. also the American Bankers Association has been running media blitzes in the select markets like the people that are back you know that are co-sponsors of the bill, right um you know, highlighting potential potential damage like uh, elimination of rewards programs, right um. Here's, but I just love this. This is a quote that the, okay, so all the major, the national um, banking and credit union trade associations, as well as the Electronic Payments Coalition, sent this letter to all the leaders of the House and Senate. Right. Okay. And it was a pretty long, extensive letter, but there's this one quote that I just really loved. It said the federal government's attempt to impose price controls by regulating interchange through the Durban Amendment is the purest example of failed government policy. Congress should not double down on this failure. We urge you to reject the cynical manipulation of our nation's payment system for the narrow financial gain of the nation's largest retailers. Which I thought was pretty, you know, let's put it in there. I mean, basically you're taking one constituency and you're putting it against the other and you're squeezing... Right. The small retailers, the small credit unions, and the consumers in the meantime, yeah. But so, so that happened. You know, it didn't get put on the bill, which is really great. But it is going to be put on some bill this this year, and we need to be aware of that. In a related development, and I know you've probably heard this, and maybe some of our audiences heard this already, but it blows my mind. Block, the company formerly known as Square, has filed a lawsuit against Visa, and Mastercard yeah you know they conspire to inflate interchange and to befuddle merchants with interchange um schedules that they can't understand, right? You know, so here we have the interloper wanting to he basically they want special treatment. I mean, they're saying, okay, we right. want to be on an equal basis with processors, but oh by the way, we also want to be the merchant's friend and look for lower interchange, which of course they're not going to pass on.
0: Yeah. So I was just looking up while you were talking about that Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. I actually did a, uh, I did an interesting poll about this the other day. Uh Uh-huh. I said, um, what will happen as a result of this legal action? Uh, We had 128 votes. Oh, wow. Uh, 72% said Visa will win. Nothing will change. Uh, 5% said Block will win. And 23% said this will continue to spur new regulation. You know, so kind of this whole huh. conversation is kind of gonna drive like, well, wait a second, interchange fees are too high. And it's like, well, this this lawsuit from from block is, I think, a little bit, you know, ridiculous. But oh yeah. But I, I do think it kind of highlights, and so
1: and it's so well, That's what I agree with you. I think it highlights, yeah. especially when you consider all the other lawsuits, right? You know, over right. the years, you have Durbin's legislation I think you know and this is kind of why I added this on here because I think we have this snowball effect right. going on right now right
0: and so I think ultimately the 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 thing I the thing I don't like about the credit card competition act is actually not that they're trying to lower the cost of interchange I don't like it's it's not that part that I dislike although right. I don't I think it's unnecessary but I, the thing I don't like mostly is the security implications yes. of what they're trying to do. I think it disrupts yes. a very stable, well-established network of, you know, I, like I was trying to think, Patty, what was I talking about this to somebody? Do you remember like, when is the last time that Visa or MasterCard has had an outage for an extended period of time? Do you know of
1: one? Um, you know, I remember the, there being one back in the nineties. <laughs> yeah, so years ago, right? Like, right. Like 20, 30 years ago. So you get
0: my point. It's like, do do we, from a technological perspective, do we really want to disrupt that? Yes. I think that is just so irresponsible to me. If the goal is we want to, you know, we want to cap interchange. I mean, well, that's actually not that hard of a problem to solve from a legislative perspective. I'm not in any way advocating that they should do that, but I'm just saying, but if they wanted to, they could call it what it is. Try to get, try to get something through where you're going to cap interchange at whatever. I mean, Every other developed nation in the world, that's how they've handled it. Like, where's this whole competition? Like, where in the world did anyone else try this? This is such a stupid idea. So it is,
1: and 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 know. I just it blows my mind. And I, you know, when I was reading the letter from the trade groups, you know, they they basically said this is you know favorite legislation for Amazon and Walmart and Target and all the big guys, right? Right. So they can pick their own networks. And right. I thought, so basically somebody got the ear. Of a couple of congressmen or senators, mm-hmm. right? Gave them, you know, a BS job mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on, on the need for network choice, right? When probably they don't even understand how the how the damn thing works. Right. And you know, they wrote up this legislation. And the fact that they won't have hearings to me says they don't even want to know right. how screwed up it is.
0: Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting thing. And and it's one of these laws too, where if it does pass nothing's going to change for a decade because
1: because oh, it's going to take the... so long to reprogram oh, yeah. all of everything
0: well i mean the, the first thing will be the legal battle right because all the, the big right. banks will take it all the way to the supreme court no oh, doubt of course no question they'll claim it's unconstitutional violates all kinds of things so um, right. i think i'll have the legal fight for that'll be take four or five years then it'll be like okay if they lose well now they have to implement it and then it's like well what do, how do you want us to implement it oh we have no idea <laughs> okay right.
1: So, you're so, gonna, so and and besides, they're gonna they're gonna bump it to the Fed, right? And ask the Fed to make the rules, well, right? Exactly. Right. So basically, we're talking about micromanaging, You know, the government oh, it's micromanaging. Gonna, it's gonna take sector. forever.
0: It's gonna yeah. take forever. It's gonna be a huge distraction for the industry and a huge mess. But I, I I just, it's a tough one for me to stomach to imagine that this thing could become law. It's just you know, the Durbin Amendment. I mean, I, the whole thing about the debit networks and all that. I really thought was so stupid. But yeah. I mean. The part about capping the interchange, I was like, oh, I don't agree with it. But like, I get it. Like, I understand right. how that would work. And it, right. and it did right away. They were able to limit it. But it's like the whole thing of the network. I mean, I, I don't even know what they mean. I, I've i read it so, several times. So And, have I I, and them, I'm not
1: sure they know what it means. I'm like, what are you
0: talking about? It has to go over another
1: network. Like, and half of these networks don't have, the, you know, look at the ATM networks. They would have to totally reconfigure themselves to right. support a different set of all, right. you know, of messages, right?
0: Well, but not only that, to me, it's it's just this whole concept is so ridiculous. It's not just it's not like saying somehow the the ATM networks need to, to change what they do. It's like, no, no, wait a second. Like we're saying that a transaction is gonna originate on one network and then travel over a different one. Yeah. It the whole point of a network is that it's a network. <laughs> you, right. you start on one end end end.
1: other, right? It's
0: right. It's like, what are we talking? And this is like this is not an easy thing. This is complicated. The money has to be, you have to get authorization codes and you have to move right. the money. Yeah, so it's just it, kind of the know,
1: it's a it's at least a two-step process. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, I, and so I, I think Visa has a great case in the Supreme Court. Even if this passes, if I'm if I'm Visa, I go to court with this and I say, you know, can can the government really say that when I put you know a billion dollars a year into marketing, my Visa brand, that it's okay for the government to then force me when someone takes my Visa card into a business. That they can force me to then allow my competitor to make the money off of that transaction. Right. right I think right. the answer to that is no. I think it's ridiculous. I don't see how they're
1: going to do it. But but so, again, anyway, I think you're we'll right. See. It's going to it's going to it's going to linger in the courts for years. You know, yeah. I mean, just as a little aside, remember the the 2005 lawsuit that they all call the Walmart lawsuit about interchange. Yeah. Oh, sure. Uh-huh. Right. Do you know that that settlement was only finalized earlier this year? I did not know that uh-uh. 18 years <laughs> 18 years I'm getting yeah. emails because I'm a small business right you probably right. get them and don't realize them. like yeah. oh you know see if you have money coming back to you because you know they finally approved- it
0: finally got done
1: yeah the settlement amount Oh, why? So if Crazy. it takes that long, can you imagine how long the, yeah. I, I'll, I, no offense, but I'll probably be dead and gone by then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I just, I just turned 40 yesterday. I'm guessing I'm probably going to be in my sixties by the time. this. You're going to
1: be my age by the time it happens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, good stuff, Patty. Definitely keep us posted and we'll see good how things turns change. out.
2: Thank you for listening to the merchant sales podcast